Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? The nitty gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Nathan Creswell, Head of Product at Isometric Technologies. And we're going to start off the show by talking about Nathan's recent Never Have I Ever moment, as well as his best tips and insights for being a successful PM in the ever-evolving business landscape. All right, Nathan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, so each episode, uh, we like to kick things off with a little game of Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Because as a PM, you probably get pushed to do things outside what you initially thought possible. And no matter what, it magically gets done. So we wanted to bring your experience uh, uh the outside of your job to the inside of the life of a PM and get to know you a little better at the same time. So Nathan, uh, tell us a little bit about your never have I ever. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll preface uh, before I go into my story that there's not much that I haven't done at my age, uh, but uh, there are a couple things that are still new to me. So one thing that happened was that the when I uh, joined, when I moved out of uh, quote to cash uh, product and actually moved into the trucking industry. So I joined a, a startup called uh, Vector, and that was a trucking technology startup. And so trucking, uh, which I'm sure is new to a lot of your listeners, uh, it was also new to me. And I wanted to learn a totally new domain with new technologies and, and really get to the roots of product and engineering and build build a great product. And they particularly wanted to go from a single product to a multi-product company. And so I didn't know anything about the, the trucking industry. I, I knew vaguely that uh, there's a truck that brings stuff to you when you order it on Amazon. And that's as much as I, I pretty much knew about the trucking industry. So I had to educate myself from the ground up, from the uh, industry executives there uh, to, uh, to things online, to various uh, sources online that, that I could learn the, the trucking industry from. And it really uh, was a learning experience for me because I was leading different areas of the organization, uh, areas that I had never managed before. So not just product management, but QA, for example, professional services was another area that I managed. And I learned how to manage people who are experts in something that I am not. And it taught me a lot of very interesting things about leadership and how to lead people that are experts in things that you may not know. Let's unpack that a little bit. So you started with Quote to Cash. Uh, sounds like uh, actually uh, we're, uh, we've been buddies for, for quite some time, uh, Nathan, because we worked together uh, here at Zora way back when, right? And so you were at that time product manager of our commerce product, particularly the uh, Configure Price Quote CPQ uh, product. And it was all about B2B, mostly SaaS companies, although you know there were, there were others, but it had nothing to do with well, hardware, trucks, or, or anything like this, right? So now you, you decided to really pivot uh, and try something new, something that you've never done before in a domain that, you, that you've uh, uh, never, uh, never really experienced. So, uh, and you mentioned that you know, you've looked at various sources of, of information, et cetera. Um, so can you give us a little bit maybe like a, a, a taste of um, maybe the first thing you engaged on where you really needed to dig in, uh, where you were working uh, with that, that really brought in this new new domain, uh, that, that need for that knowledge to the fore? Yeah, uh, really, 
you, you need to prepare, first of all. So Google is your best friend. So Googling the trucking industry, getting into the industry journals, the industry uh, lingo, uh, particularly learning from the people in your company is a, is a first step because that's the easiest access. That's the easiest thing you can do. That's the fastest thing you can do. Ultimately, though, I believe in learning from customers. Customers are your best teacher. And so being able to visit these carriers, and I visited a lot of carriers. I, I went out to the Midwest, Green Bay, uh, lovely town, Green Bay, highly recommend it if you have any listeners in, in Green Bay, and visited these, these, these carriers and got to see how their operations are done. And there's so much more that you can learn in person visiting customers than you can on a Zoom call or a, or a video call. They will show you their, they're happy to show you their daily operations, happy to show you their pains because they want help. They want help solving their problems. And ultimately, all customers come to software companies with that aim in mind. I have a problem. Can you help me solve it? And that's the key thing is learning from your customers, being able to synthesize what their problem is and turn that into an effective solution that you can then deploy and solve their problem. When you made into that kind of pivot, what was some of like, uh, something that surprised you? Yeah. This this continue to surprise uh, continues to surprise me as as I go in my product management career. We treat technology very seriously. For us, technology is our job; it's our daily life. Uh, we think about it. Um, you know, we think about the problems that it can solve. We get excited when a new solution comes out that we think can solve new problems. Normal people don't think that way. Customers don't think that way. For them, technology is just one of 15,000 headaches they have in their day and you know and can can the thing that they that they uh, buy solve it easily quickly fast without headaches without problems they're not interested in going into the depths of the architecture or that this is a better solution than this or that you know uh, that, that it's incrementally better they want to know that this thing that I have a problem with can I solve it easily quickly fast cheaply with what I'm buying from you. If so, sure. Then I'm going to move on to my next fire that I have to fight in my business, which could be totally unrelated to technology. And it amazes me that for, for us, we agonize over where to place a button, where to put the search bar, how should the search work, how should the columns be ordered, when in reality, they're probably devoting three seconds of thought in their day. Can I find the button? No? Okay, I can't find the button. That's This is terrible software. I'm going to give up. I'm going to move on to my next issue. So that even makes us should make us think more about these things because it has to be so innate that it's so obvious of how to how to use the software, how to solve the problem with the software, that it should be as obvious as possible. I'm assuming here that your solution at Vector was actually software that was was this within the truck itself or uh, within yeah. the carriers? Oh, it was the truck, a right. Yeah, it was it was an app on the on the carriers uh, mobile phones on the truck drivers mobile phones, and so we thought a lot. On a, even though the carrier may not necessarily be the ultimate or the truck driver is not the ultimate purchaser, there's always that buyer user distinction in B2B software. We thought a lot about user experience because this truck driver, if they weren't able to use the app, if they couldn't easily find it, they would just not use it. They would not use it to upload their documents, their bill of ladings, their proof of deliveries. They would just say, this is a useless app and we're not going to adopt it. So we actually had to think very, very much about the user experience, particularly on a mobile device where, 
you know, you can imagine and think about the environment of a truck, of a cab. It's noisy, it's dirty, it's smelly, right? I'm sure there's some clean truck cabs out there, but, you know, there's papers everywhere, there's empty fast food containers, right? And you want to do something quickly and you don't want to do the difference between two and three clicks is very important. The difference between one and two clicks is very important. So how can you minimize that to have the least amount of, of, of user friction possible to achieve the job to be done? Yeah, the, the, that, I would think you're right. The, the margin of error within like a, an app type of product and that, you know, the user's experience is completely different, right? And you're right. If, if, if they, they find any kind of friction behind it, that app is gone. And it's, and I, what I've noticed too, it's also hard to win them back. Like oh yeah. Once yeah. you kind of get down that path and you know, they've, even the first, they, something with our software, we, we tend to like try things out and, and test it and you see how things are going. But w- with something like this, if the trucker doesn't like it at first, it's so hard to get them back to, to wanting to use it, getting their friends wanting to use it. And then they kind of gang up on it. Like, oh, we're not using it. And you're like, oh no, how do we get back from that? Yeah, and to even convince them to download the app was 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 a was a friction. If you think about ourselves, we have so many apps on our phones today. Okay, if I, I'm going to download an app, I need a good reason to add it. My 51st app to my 50 apps on my phone. So to convince a, to even convince them to download the app was a challenge. And how to onboard them, make the onboarding everything had to be seamless and easy. Otherwise, they won't use it. And you're right, you wouldn't get them back. And they'd say, tell all their friends, by the way, this app is terrible. So we put a lot of thought into making onboarding easy, all of that easy for the form factor, even even using data, because a lot of these truck drivers had uh, uh, per per megabyte data plans or per per gigabyte data plans. So they'd be really offended if they had to download a 300 megabyte app. So we had to get it down to the minimum, make sure transmission rates were were the, at the minimum. There was a lot of thinking that, you know, as opposed to a traditional desktop software product that you had to go and and think about. I'm guessing, obviously, there was a steep learning curve. Um, so just maybe give us a, a quick uh, summary. So h- how did it all work out for you? I mean, mainly because it, so it was more than just one product. It was a multi-set of products and not to not to bore your listeners too much, but it was actually, uh, from my quote to cash days, I, I, I coined a term delivery to cash, uh, proving that, that all things are just reinventions of things in the past. So... Um, Delivery to cash was was the term I, I coined for it. So the ability to take a picture of a document, of a bill of lading document, and then funnel it through a billing application. So ultimately, that that document has to go in with the invoice to be sent to the ultimate payer of that invoice, which is usually the shipper. So all of that had to work seamlessly from mobile app to back office software. On top of that, we were not the system of record. So we had to do integration to the system of record to get the the core records that are related to that invoice and that document to be able to, to send it out. So it was a lot of, of technical work, actually, but it worked pretty seamlessly from end to end, from truck driver experience to back office billing person sending out the invoice. And it's something that I'm still quite proud of to this day because it was multiple products working from end to end. So were there things that you were uh, looking for a particular outcome that, that you achieved or even maybe surpassed? Yeah, absolutely. My personal motto is uh, we need to ship product and make customers happy. And so how do you measure each of those things? Shipping product and making customers happy. Uh, shipping product is by and large the day-to-day wrestling things through engineering, uh, testing software, working on UX, making sure it's good and and me- meeting a 
a date, ideally, if you can, uh, to actually ship the software. Making customers happy, by and large, in, in B2B software, a fundamental component of that is usage. If you're using it, you are hopefully happy. Not always true. Not always true. But if you're using it, you are getting utility out of it. You are finishing the job to be done. You have solved your problem. Now, having said that, there can be unhappiness still wrapped in, uh, up in that. And a typical way to measure it in B2B software is how many records are in a table. That's a very simple, low-cost way to say, are, is this being used? Are you entering data into the system? Is it flowing through the system? Then you can get into a higher order of metrics management around the actual user journey, which is where you're starting to get more into B2C land as opposed to B2B. So what is the funnel that the user went through to actually achieve that job to be done? Where did they fall off? Did they fall off because they couldn't find the button? Or maybe that was a training issue. They weren't trained to find that button. And if they were pointed out where it is, they'd be fine. So there's orders of magnitude in terms of how far you go into track, and that's going to be a function of, of the cost of tracking. There is a cost to implementing all that tracking, whether through engineering or through time or through how, how to what uh, mac, uh, micro level you go to. So we were definitely keen on, on tracking these kinds of metrics, how many invoices were sent out from our system, how many documents were sent out from our system, how many documents were uploaded into our system. But additionally, we would also measure customer happiness. So NPS scores, for example, uh, there's various ways you can do it now. Not necessarily we did at Vector, but Hotjar, for example, you can run user surveys and all of this, and you can pop up and say how happy are. We've all experienced them in apps as well, because that is important. You want to know, firstly, is the job being completed? Is the, is the job to be done achieved? Then secondly, well, how happy were you with the experience? That is a component these days. You can't, particularly in the example at Vector, you couldn't ignore the user because the user was so fundamental in kicking off the, the, the process. And, and by and large, truck drivers are, they're very autonomous. They, 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 they can do, they're out there on the road. They can, you know, do, they have a lot of variability in terms of what they're allowed to do. So, uh, it was very important to to understand the user journey, but also understand that the that the actual business process was completed. So NPS was one of the things you use for uh, for happiness. That's Net Promoter Score. And then was there a higher level metric that you were trying to optimize? Yeah, it was primarily time. So that's a customer success driven metric, more so than a product analytics metric, is how I would term that. And we'd use that in sales presentations. So we'd be able to say, you know, on average, you'll cut your your time to invoice from three weeks to two days. So, so, so carrier businesses also, the business context here is very important. Carrier businesses are very much cash flow businesses. They are a asset intensive cash flow businesses. And so the ability to send out from the point that you deliver the shipment and a proof that you have delivered the shipment to the point that you send out the invoice, getting that down to days, if not hours, is actually very important because once it's received by the shipper, they will put their own terms on it and they'll and they'll want to lengthen those terms out as much as they as they can. We'll pay you in 180 days, 90 days, 60 days. So any any way that you can shorten that time to get the new cash into the business that you can then redeploy is very, very important in a in a carrier, particularly a mid-market carrier, which is the the trucking businesses we were going after. I think that the you know the jobs to be done and and how happy the customers is is a pretty good kind of viewpoint for that. Um, and you know one of the things that jobs to be done for a PM is innovation, and so it kind of leads us to that second segment we have: uh, innovation therapy and other wild tales. 
and we're kind of into the nitty gritty of it, but let's go a little bit more deeper on uh, what's happening with the PM. So I guess what are some of the things at top of mind for you, Nathan, as a PM? And uh, what do you think is next for, for innovation? And what are you kind of excited about? Yeah, so I'll, uh, I will talk about AI later. But uh, for this particular question, I'm, I really, I'm thinking a lot about innovation in the trucking industry, in particular, supply chain and trucking, and particularly how fragmented the industry is. The industry by its very nature is an industry of fragmentation. You see it in almost every, if you were to Google trucking, it will talk about how much of a long tail there is in the, in the trucking industry. It is something crazy statistic, something like 80% of all freight is companies with 400 trucks or less, something like that. There's, there's a few very large players, and then there's a huge long tail of, of trucking companies. And so that has repercussions throughout the go-to-market of any software product in the industry because all these players, and there's typically three players, there's retailers, there's shippers, and there's carriers. So retailers, Walmart, so on and so forth, shippers, Clorox, people like that, manufacturers, and then carriers, trucking carriers. And there's all sorts of variations in between, but those are the three three large personas that you're dealing with. And each one of these players is fragmented. They have their own systems. They have their own ways of doing things. They have their own ways of measuring things. But ironically, it's fundamentally a networked industry. It is fundamentally a network. A shipper will call on a carrier to deliver something to a retailer. So there has to be cooperation and collaboration. It's forced by the nature of the business. And so how do you do that when everything is so fragmented, when it could be one carrier today and a different carrier tomorrow, when it could be one type of good versus another type of good tomorrow? So I think a lot about that. And so the vision of ISO trying to bring that all together, what if you play what if a lot as a product manager, what if you could have everyone under the same umbrella, everyone under the same system as a network system? This is the dream of supply chain. And so if you could get everyone speaking the same language, speaking the same KPIs, speaking the same metrics, what would be the, the efficiencies that you could unlock, the automation that you could unlock, the drudgery that people do day to day that really is just a function of inefficient systems? And, and not really a, a business problem. It's just a siloed problem. That's a lot of what I'm thinking about today because that is where we ultimately would like to go and having everyone under the same umbrella speaking the same language, using hopefully the same software. And the challenge of doing that is that everyone will still have their own requests. They'll say, but we, we want to do it this way. We want to do it that way. So how do you handle that while still having a standardized system? I think the days of, of going to market with SAP or, or any of these, or Oracle are saying, this is the way we do it, you know, is, is somewhat not out of favor is the word I want to use, but it's, it's by the wayside. You have to find a way with new technologies and new ways of approaching things to handle customization, but also provide standardization so that everyone can speak the same language. And that's the, that's the innovation challenge, I think, that is a fundamental B2B innovation challenge as we move forward. And that's where you see a lot of like those disruptors coming up, right? So they're kind of wedging themselves in between or like away from Oracle SAP, showing that there's another way of doing it, creating that standardization or what, what are you kind of seeing in the market of how they're playing against that kind of the bigger, bigger players then? Yeah. I mean, what I've, I've seen is that 
customization these days is, provided it's thought about from the ground up in terms of technical architecture, is not hard. What is hard is to put customization on top of a system that was never designed for it. But if you can think about it from the from the ground up, and I won't get too much into the technical details. So for example, JSON, everything can be represented in a JSON object now, right? And And so being able to, you look in a database these days, and it's not individual columns, it's a blob of JSON that is then parsed in the application layer. To, and so, you know, it, it doesn't mean that to add a field, you have to add a column table to column to a table anymore. That blew my mind as being an old Siebel SAP guy. That's what we used to do. You want a new column, you add a new column to a table. And that has repercussions throughout the application stack. So, so uh, very, very interesting how customization can now be the first order of concern. Like, how are we going to customize? What are we going to customize? What should we allow to customize? What would a customer allow us to customize? What would they not allow us to customize? That's that's very interesting thinking, and then how that develops and finds its way into the into the product is a very very uh, innovation, as uh, as I would say, in in B two B software these days. So I'm going to ask a question that maybe is uh, you know just going to show you my expertise into the supply chain and track trucking uh, industry. Trucks, you know, I pass them on the freeway all the time. They all look pretty similar. Um, the goods seem pretty reasonable. This has been going on for decades, you know, doing this sort of stuff. So how come there are no standards? What What is driving the customization? Why isn't this just simply, look, I've got a truck that needs to go from point A to point B. And yes, various companies might be able to do that, uh, right? But ultimately, you know, not to offend anyone, are they not interchangeable because they effectively fulfill the same functional role? What, what's... What's kind of driving that customization? There, there are standards. Don't get me wrong. Many there. If you Google trucking standards, there are attempts to say this is the standard. And and I'll give you an example of of a of a standard that, in my opinion, somewhat failed. EDI, EDI is used heavily in in the trucking industry. Uh, if if your listeners know that term, electronic document interchange, I think it stands for or interface. And so this was the first way to do point to point integrations. So there are EDI formats out there. There are they'll refer to them into the trucking industry by their number designation. So a purchase order is, is something like 200 and so, something else. And so all these systems communicate through EDI to this day. They use EDI. Now, EDI is supposed to be a standard. It's supposed to be these are the five fields you have on the purchase order header. These are the 15 fields you have on the items. In reality, because it's on-premise configuration, everyone added their own flavor to it. So there's an extra field here. There's an extra, this field was was dropped and put. Uh, another field was put in place. And so every EDI has, uh, it's by and large the same, but it's entirely customized. So that's aside from the fact that a lot of EDI transmissions actually fail because it's so antiquated and on-premise and point to point. So so you actually have a situation of where there the 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 spirit is willing but the flesh is weak in terms of in terms of of standards. It's a great idea, but the industry is so fragmented. There's so many different decision makers it's particularly in the American trucking industry. I think I, I don't have personal experience with the European trucking industry, but my impression is that it's a little bit more standardized over there. But particularly in the American trucking industry, it's very, very hard to introduce a standard. And there's all sorts of consortiums and, and advisory boards and things like this to advise on standards. But the actual implementation of it 
you get back to, well, but our business works this way and our business works this way and oil and gas needs this and food delivery needs this. You know, as, a, as an example, when you do food uh, deliveries, particularly uh, milk or liquids, there's a three truck wash rule. You have to wash the truck, I believe. It's been a while since I looked at it, but you have to wash it three times, something like that, uh, to be sure that you've got all the contaminants out. So you need something that supports that. That causes a whole host of repercussions. Everything is different. And so how do you handle that in a standardized system? You can't. You've got to customize it either to that industry or to that customer. Is there kind of a rivalry or even different standards between, you know, train freight, freight on truckers, airline freight? Is that a, a thing or is it they're all like if they all walked into a bar, would there be a fight or did they all kind of get along? <laughs> I think I think they by and large all get along. I've never seen uh, personally a fight between truckers. Okay. Uh, all right. But uh, I think that they by and large all get along. I mean, to be honest with you, the only the only body that can really introduce a standard is is the government, and they did that with with uh, trucking hours, e- electronic um, tracking of of how many hours uh, a trucker is allowed to drive, and that caused a whole host of startups when, uh, to start when that was introduced. Because suddenly you needed an electronic way to to, to track when a, when a truck driver goes off shift or on shift. So, so that was an example of a standard that was implemented, but that was law. That way you either did it or you got in trouble. Yeah, because yeah, it was safety. Yeah, so that, that's usually where this kicks in, right? Because if a trucker's on the road for too long, they may be fatigued, they may not be paying attention, and they're driving a very big thing going fast, right? And it can cause a lot of issues. So that, that makes sense. So that's safety. I mean, you get something very similar in the airline industry, right? Commercial, where pilots can only be for so long. I think we've all experienced that when we fly, where, yeah, exactly, right? The crew time's out. So something similar. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. But, but Lucas, when that happens, yeah. can't you just step in and, and take care of it? Yeah, absolutely. As a as a private pilot over here, <laughs> I have everything I need to fly a multi-engine uh, airplane with hundreds Same. of people on board. Absolutely. Not 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 a concern. Same um, thing, just yeah, bigger. that doesn't happen by the way. Yeah, that's 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 a myth right there. That doesn't work that way. Um but the other thing that I think made uh, a point to why this is so you say siloed but it's that long tail. It's the fact that you have a lot of companies involved in this, some of them that are probably fairly small. Uh, and so their budget for doing, you know, IT innovation projects is is probably limited. Their interest isn't. This, uh, I think this is, um, you know, Kyle was saying that there may be a little bit of competition between the different ways and means, but uh, of of pushing freight uh, around, right? But to be honest, I, I would also imagine that there are established relationships in localities, right? Like if these are smaller companies and, you know, they only do this route, they only work between this shipper and this retailer. And so they have established relationships, established processes. And now you're coming in with a stand and they're like, look, uh, you know, our customization actually works. So we don't need the standard, right? Because it's always worked and we feel it well. So is that kind of, is that a right way to start thinking about it? Yeah, that's that's one of the aspects of the industry. It, it is a very much a relationship-based industry. And for the exact reasons that you specify, you get to know a particular carrier and they might uh, might only have 10 trucks, but they're great. They give you great service. They give you great rates. Uh, and so you use them. And so why do you need a standard between friends? Uh, they they do great business business with you. They They can deliver on time. They pick up on time. And uh, they're cheap compared to other carriers. So, so why, why ruin a good thing? Why change it? You know? So, so to enforce change on something that's working, even if it's inefficient, even if it's there could be a better way of doing things, will not fly because things are great. 
very interesting story about truckers. I've learned a lot more than I than I thought um, I would. Uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe we could shift gears and get into our next segment, which is PM Power Moves. Power. Powering up. Power Moves. So we'll shift gears metaphorically and maybe even in the trucking industry, literally. Uh, but the, really want to get into kind of specific instance where things really required all of your skill uh, as a PM. Is there maybe a story you could uh, walk us through where, you know, things you, you took out, all the tools that you have in your PM toolkit uh, and and got to it and got got things done? Is there anything that, that jumps out at you? Yeah. So, at uh, Vector in particular, and I already mentioned we did a we did a billing application there. We really put into focus hypercare for the first few customers when we launched that product line, and that's very very important in B two B SaaS. Your your first five customers, you have to ensure that they are singing your praises because if you can't make your first five customers happy, you're not going to make the next ten customers happy. So we went into super hypercare mode for the first five customers. So I visited this customer. I went out on site. I did the training in the, in the product for them. I made sure that they knew precisely how to use this product and that it was going to have value for them. And so uh, we received an email from one of the, the billing analysts saying, you know what? Now billing is fun. And I have never, and you have both have a background in billing. I don't think I've heard anyone ever say billing is fun. So I heard another F word. It's normally another F word, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the fact that we could actually make someone's life enjoyable in billing was, was a huge, huge win. And actually, because ultimately, yes, we get paid for the software. Yes, if we, they renew, we're all happy as, as software. But at a fundamental level, I'd like to know that I'm making people's lives better. I don't want to know that I'm making people's lives worse through software. If that's what I'm doing with my life, then maybe I should re-examine my life. Ideally, when I'm deploying the software, your life from the moment that we deploy it has turned into a good thing. So, so that is, that is, that is a good thing. And that's a good feeling to walk away with as a, as a PM that you've, after all the hard work, you've made actually someone's life better. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, what we call the mission moment, right? When, where you've actually, uh, achieved your mission of of making a world a better place in in some particular uh, domain. Uh, so you went out and actually trained all the. Uh, was this the same kind of item that we talked about, uh, where it's an app on the phone or something like that 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 you were training the operators on, or or something else? And you know, did it was it, the uh, it was the back office functions. So we did we did show functions. them. Okay. Yeah. So we showed them the the truck driver. the The actual truck driver experience was so simple; it didn't need training. It was it was literally two two clicks to upload a, a document. So there was very very little training needed there. But the, as we all know, back office processes are a bit more involved. So I had to take the the three or four billing analysts through how you actually send out the invoice, double check it before it's sent out, make sure that track it after it's sent, make sure that you know that it was read and followed up on. So it was all of that that we had to we had to take them through training. Got it. So change management. So I can only imagine that the process they had previous to your software must have been perhaps not fun, right? Is is that for your software? Oh, software? yeah, it was horrendous. Mainly because if you if you don't have a digital image of the document that easily matches up to the invoice, then you spend a lot of manual work trying to correlate which document goes with which invoice. So, so they were doing that all that manually. Like, 
I kid you not, that some of these customers had a tray where the truck driver would come in at the end of the day, handing in all their documentation. Then someone in the back office would have to go and scan that documentation to turn it into a digital document to then email out. By the way, some of their customers didn't accept digital invoices or PDFs. So they had to print it out again to stuff it into an envelope to get mailed out. So it was a lot of manual work. Now, I think one thing you, I like what you said was that you get those top, you know, those five customers really using and being happy. Uh, But from those five customers, you're probably going to get a lot of defects, bugs, issues. I guess, what are some of the things you've done kind of a creative strategy to kind of mitigate that and speed up and get those five customers as happy as possible? Yeah, so there's a range of strategies. I mean, that's hypercare mode. So it's being fed. And this is why at least the most recent two companies having at a certain size professional services reporting into product is a great idea because that feedback loop is so quick. Once you go into implementation, the bugs, the features, the suggestions, can there can be rapid feedback from the customer to the product team. Because no matter how much you plan and how much you, you design, no plan survives the first battle. No plan survives the first implementation. You will discover things that you never knew or no one thought to tell you or the customer didn't tell you. Oh, and by the way, here was something that we were told about in the sales cycle that's not in your product. Where's that? So, so you need to be hyper, hyper vigilant in these first few customers and managing that implementation, maybe not directly, but at least attending meetings, getting feedback, having some method to get that rapid feedback back into the product. Hopefully you've done enough QA and you've done enough testing that the number of bugs that it's working as designed. So if you know how it should work, that should all be fine and that should be handled by by your QA processes. But it's the things that you don't know that are the things that jump out at you. Oh, you didn't know that actually, by the way, they're switching between two screens as they're using your product. And so they need a way to copy and paste easily from the second screen to the first screen. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll loop that into the roadmap. It's those things that, that really worry me at any product launch. It's the things that you don't know and you can't test for until you, you actually implement. And by the way, customers are most motivated to give feedback when they're in implementation, when they haven't bought the product, when they are just a prospect, they're not going to give you feedback there to any level of, of interest. It's when they're using it and they're, and they're like, this is my day to day. So I better take an interest in this. That's when they're most motivated to give you feedback. As I said before, they got 15,000 fires. Giving feedback on your product is the lowest of low priorities on their, on their list. So getting them at the right time, meeting them when they're motivated is so important. So super important. I think this, this leads into our, our fourth segment, which allows you to know what problem to do and what problem to focus on. As you said, PMs just spend a lot of time thinking about this. We're not going to give you that much time. It's going to be a little bit, little bit quicker, but we're going to throw a couple, ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No, maybe. Yes. So because of the trucking industry, a lot of changes. What's your thoughts on the electronic semi-trailer trucks? Full electronic. Electric trucks, ship it, ship it. Good for the environment. Good for good for the economy. Only problem is, is you have to solve the charging problem first. It takes too long to charge. These are assets. You want them on the road earning. So until you solve that, that's not going to be a go. But the concept, everyone's moving electric. It's good for the country, good for companies, good for climate. Ship it. Okay, good. And then last time we spoke, I think you were flying somewhere uh, and you were in a plane. And so you kind of, that experience is fresh in your head. 
would you sit in a double decker seats? And they're kind of a new concept where the, you know, the seats are kind of double decker in the plane. Would you ship it or skip it? Skip it. Users would not be happy. I don't want someone's feet dangling in front of my face. I, fig- I figured there's a little bit of that problem. Um, <laughs> other problems too, <laughs> that can, especially where the where the, the head and the, the body lines. But good. All right. Um, I also saw this in Germany, which I thought was interesting. But it's a water park with giant slides, but the users are wearing a VR virtual reality headset, and they kind of go through uh, you know, the, the experience of whatever they want. But you don't the water the water ride has them view these. VR lenses while they're on the water slide while they're on the water slide they got VR lenses they do oh interesting let me think about that one I would say provided safety concerns could be considered ship it or wow okay ship it because that would be pretty cool you'd be going and you could see different things you could digitally create you could show them ads while they're while they're on the water slide monetize it but they like that you know, like they'd that. love that. Like, uh, fearing for my life, and I see yeah. an ad for life insurance. That would be great. I think only three kids were electrocuted, so I think they were yeah. <laughs> exactly for, like, for, for numbers. So far, so, so far, far <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got the awesome. charges. They don't get the charge right, but it's it's getting there. Ship it, provided you could solve the safety concerns. If we can solve the safety concern, we can, we'll we'll put it down as a shipment. Okay, good. Cool. Hey, I want to throw one in. Um, so now that you've been working in trucking, do you want to go drive a truck? Like get licensed oh, and dri- abso- drive a truck? Absolutely. There's a really? there's a game out there on, on Steam, if everyone knows that, that I highly recommend called American Truck Simulator. And the point of this game is to, as, as realistically as possible, simulate driving a truck. It is one of the most interesting experiences that I highly recommend to your listeners to try out themselves. It is as close to reality as you will get without actually driving a truck. And some real fanatics, they get the steering wheel set up, they get the pedals set up, and they will, for relaxation, drive a truck two hours a night, virtually. So so I highly recommend that experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. And hopefully your your app from your, your company is is in the simulator so we can actually also gain the efficiencies of <laughs> scanning <laughs> our, the, the, <laughs> billing, the billing of the billing efficiencies from for making a, a delivery it's uh it's fantastic you can see what what trucking trucking company owners and drivers go through 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 this experience so awesome uh i guess maybe let me sneak one one more in because i i think um when we asked about the electric uh truck right uh, you kind of jumped into autonomy, uh, and and we did promise to talk a little bit about AI, um, and, and so I'd love to just circle back to that. So, your thoughts based on you know working with carriers and obviously truck drivers, etc. What is your thought about autonomous uh, cars, electric or otherwise, doesn't matter, but just the autonomy. I mean, I will do a plug for ISO and isometric technologies. We are thinking a lot about AI for our data and actually applying AI to our, our, our data. We're actually beta testing an internal feature related to that uh, so, so that we can actually get insights from our data because we're fundamentally a, a data company. So, so that's a, I just wanted to do a quick plug for that. So it is definitely a concern that's top of my mind and I'm trying to keep 
the the pace of innovation in AI is just nuts at the moment. Uh, so every day a new a new model comes out and things like this. For autonomous trucking, that's a whole different concern because you are on a road with a twenty ton, thirty ton, however many tons big trailer. Safety is a far greater concern with something like that versus a passenger car. So the regulations around that, making sure. And by the way. Freeway driving is largely okay. They've proven that driving in a straight line is possible, you know, with with a with a truck. But when you get to the cities, when you get to there's there's problems there because then there's pedestrians, there's weird markings, there's all sorts of things that could go wrong. If you ever try and back up a trailer, it's really difficult to back up a, a trailer going in reverse. So you have to actually account for all these scenarios at the origin and destination. So that I think needs a lot more work, but by and large, and there's companies that have been set up to do this autonomous trucks, just from point to point outside of the actual original destination. And then they hand off to humans at, at actually that those, those destinations. So I think autonomous trucks are, are coming And I went up to San Francisco the other day. I saw an autonomous car, very unnerving, no driver, just people in the back seat. I wanted to open the door and start driving the car. So the it's it's coming it it will come as to when it will come is the debate it's will it be 5 years 10 years they have to make sure it's safe they have to make sure that there is there all the things that can go wrong with such a massive vehicle are accounted for and that people are kept safe so i think you know we're going to see it after autonomous cars for that reason as to how much your your guess is as good as good as mine 5 years 10 years next year who knows Absolutely. very very cool all right. Well, uh, Nathan, I think that's that's all I've got. Kyle, any uh, additional items from you? No, this is great, Nathan. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, thank you for joining I, us. I hope uh, your your listeners learned a bit more about trucking. And just remember, if uh, you bought it, a truck brought it. So. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> that is, that is a I like good that. Point. Excellent. Nathan, thank you again for joining us. Real pleasure chatting with you and learning uh, more about trucks and uh, look forward to keeping up with you in the future. Maybe uh, see how that beta AI product for MISO is, is doing and whether we have autonomous trucks on the roads by the time we talk next. Hopefully it won't be that long. Hopefully it won't be that long. Thank you all. Thank you, Nathan. All right. Yeah, I think that was a, a great conversation, Lucas. Uh, you know, I think we we learned a lot about about the trucking industry um, stuff. I probably didn't even know about how, how in depth it was. Uh, I like his comments about like shipping products that that make customers happy. I think that's a that's a good kind of you know uh, you know north star to think through um, because I think that was a big theme of what, what he was saying. Like, I want to make sure the products I I, I am creating. Uh, brings happiness to the end user, and that doesn't cause pain. I think that 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 one, you know, billing is fun comment was 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 key, right? Because you want to make sure everything you're doing is is, is really driving towards that. Um, and I like the uh, the idea of what he was having with um, that hypercare. I think you know we live with this too, but making sure your first five customers are, are super happy and making sure you go all in on that. And then I liked how he thought about how do we, you know. You know, triage some of these issues that come up and what are the, some of the strategies he does to, to, you know, ensure that those five customers are super happy and, and become, you know, referenceable customers. Someone can keep singing your praises, which is a, a key point. Well, uh, yeah. So Lucas, what'd you, what'd you think? Would you, what was your, some of your thoughts? 
Yeah, it was great, great chatting with Nathan. Uh, you know, it's great to catch up with him, uh, albeit on a podcast after so many years. But um, interesting that he switched to a brand new domain. One of the things we're hearing constantly, right, is that PMs uh, need to be ready to just jump into a brand new thing that they just may not be even experts on. And Nathan certainly did that, right, and, and jumped into a completely new domain in trucking uh, and then leveraged everything he could, right? Whether that's online resources, the folks he worked with, the customers, um, et cetera, to just ramp up very, very quickly uh, and then leverage those experts to really advise him on how to put the product together and launch it successfully and then accomplish exactly what you said, right? Uh, accomplish the job, the jobs to be done framework and make sure that the uh, users are, are happy and, and the focus is on, on making sure it's usable. So I think that's that's a big takeaway is just being open-minded. Uh, you know, we tried to ask him if he had any preconceptions or surprises, right? And he's like, well, you know, I didn't know anything about this. So I, I came in completely open-minded, looked at certain things, right? And and was able then to, uh, to make things a, a success. So I thought that was a, a takeaway that uh, we're hearing uh, consistently. Um, obviously, billing is fun. Uh, very much uh, a big, big, big fan of that. Uh, to to hear that uh, come out, uh, I think those are those are key things. And uh, it sounds like uh, I might need to go on Steam and take a look at that. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. Uh, truck simulator. See what that's all about. Yeah. So those were really my takeaway. Really, really appreciate the the conversation. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the next time we do a podcast, we do it with him, but we do the back of a truck that's self-driving. So we really test yes. the safety <laughs> with, the, with the studio in the back. <laughs> Given uh, Nathan's propensity to jump in and save those poor souls in the uh, autonomous taxi, I have a sneaking suspicion yeah, that- Maybe we won't uh, be able to do that. He, yeah, he might be actually doing the driving while while we discuss. But regardless how it is, that would be a lot of fun to to do that in a truck. Well, thank you all for joining us. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and join us on the next episode of Can I Speak to Your Product Manager?